It's working.
Okay, good morning, everybody. Come on in, find a seat. Hope you had some breakfast. Thank you for a wonderful day yesterday. I'm completely blown away by the quality and the, I mean, just, it was amazing. I thought all the presentations were fantastic and can't believe all these fantastic people have come here to do this. It's fantastic. Um, I hope you had a fun time, those of you that were at the party, and I hope everybody had a nice, nice sleep last night. Um, today's program is as follows. We have Christian, oh, sorry. <laughs> That's a new clicker. Christian Vissant of the Danish Design Center will be starting our day, which will be followed by two workshops. We will come back to this later, but we have Kezia, uh, Thomas, and Ina from Operate who will be doing strategic design in the back room, bar. And we have Toge and Eska from Think Digital who will be doing a workshop in here about, I forgot, dirty little secrets. Then we have um, lunch, and after lunch, Dia and Enemid and Peter will be doing a workshop on um, creating game-changing um, game-changing business in the back room. I'm sorry, I'm, I just changed my slides here, so I'm going. It's all wrong. Um, we'll get back to it later. Anyway, we have um, CIID Copenhagen Institute of Interaction Design doing a, a workshop about what it's like to be an app, and that will be on the stage. So we'll get back to that after lunch. Um, and after the workshops, we have Eric Munz from MailChimp here. And we also have Skype and One.com later on this evening, closing our show. Yeah. <laughs> we also have some new, a new thing. We have our competition from yesterday with the Proto.io. We had one winner yesterday. We hope to find one more today. We also have a new competition because MailChimp brought a crazy amount of merchandise. So our competition is if you upload a photo to Instagram, tag it with UXConf Copenhagen and MailChimp, and we'll be picking out some, um, some winners later on. Contact Vicky during the coffee and cake this afternoon. Do you everybody know who Vicky is? She's right over here. I'm waving. Okay. So good luck with that. I can't wait to see the pictures. So to start out, our first speaker is, uh, to start out the day is Christian Bisson, leader of the Danish Design Center. He has, um, before joining the DDC, he was head of MindLab, a cross-governmental innovation lab, and was also business manager at Rambol, Rambol Consultancy. Christian is also a university lecturer, and he has presented to and advised governments around the world. Christian got into writing at an early age, and he tells me that as a teenager, he even wrote a few children's books about computer programming using Kamal 80, which is a, a Danish programming language developed in the 70s. Today, he's a regular columnist and author of five books on leadership, innovation, and design. Christian holds a fine list of academic titles and is recognized as global expert on innovation in government. Um, the DDC is doing a lot to strengthen the value of design in business and in society, and Christian is here today to open today's program and talk about the DDC's views on new trends in digital design and on the role and challenges of design in business. Please welcome Christian. Good morning, everyone. Um, I wasn't at the party, but was it, was it good? So I really missed out on something. All right. Uh, how many of you are going to New York uh, tomorrow for the uh, service design conference? All right. That's why I wasn't at the party, because I'm waiting for, for the New York party. No, just kidding. 
So after that presentation, it can kind of only go, go downhill. Um, I actually am by no means an expert on digital design or on UX design, even though I did write uh, uh, with my, uh, my kid brother a couple of children's books on programming uh, in the early 1980s, no kidding. Uh, since then, I've been a bit more uh, uh, occupied with, um, with politics or political science. And so actually, I'm going to show or I'm going to discuss two things, two maybe quite different things with you today. I'm going to discuss macro design with the DDC as a case example of how might you use design or design, let's call it thinking or approaches in how you enact change in a society. And micro design, which is how do you lead design processes? Or what are the challenges uh, in leading design? Or maybe what are the challenges that some of the people that you work with, your clients, your managers, uh, higher-ranking officials, whoever in the organizations, uh, decision-makers, how they might um, help or not help you be successful as designers. And this is, in a way, in the spirit of design, it's actually a bit of a prototype because this is also more or less what I'm bringing to the Service Design Conference uh, uh, in New York. So please kill me if this doesn't make any sense because then I have the chance to change a few, th a few things uh, by, by, by Thursday or by Friday. So what do these uh, companies have in common? This is an easy one, right? Yes? They all bought or partnered up with design companies. So I'm sure you're all aware of that. And these are the companies, right? Uh, designed it actually this, uh, that one of their uh, managers is in my board at the DDC, and he's been walking around all summer with a smug smile on his face, uh, probably because he's just made a, made a, ca a bundle of cash from selling the design it uh, for 685 million Danish corner to, uh, to IPRO. And I know, and I know, actually, I know I've had some conversations also with people here in the room that this is kind of exciting and, 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 and amazing, but it's also a little bit worrying. And we actually at the Danish Design Center, we work to, to strengthen how design is used both in business and, and, and abroad in society. We, we're kind of curious, how's this going to play out? And having been a management consultant myself, knowing McKinsey uh, quite, quite well, I kind of wonder, how can you survive as a creative design company inside, inside a very, very tight-fitting black suit? But let's see what's, uh, what's happening. At least you can say that there's something going on. You can call them game changers, but there's something really, really going on. Uh, if I, had, uh, I could also have taken the front page of Harvard Business Review from this month, from September month, right? How many of you have seen the front page of Harvard Business Review this month? Not so many. You should be reading that. Anyway... It has a, it has a, it's a design issue. It has a theme on design uh, as management tool. And it has a, the headline says design thinking and the evolution of design thinking. So this is just to say that there's something going on where uh, premium consultancy firms, I mean, you, there's also Accenture, there's others in Denmark, uh, PA Consulting here in Denmark has hired a, a very well-known designer. Something is going on with the design and context. Something's going on in the world, of course, as you all know, rapid technological change, uh, some of these, uh, these uh, buzzwords or keywords we're always talking about. And, you know, all of these different trends, all of these different factors, of course, matter. And in a sense, that's probably why these companies have been buying up design firms, because they're hoping it'll help. 
They're hoping that some of the stuff that you can do, your professionalism, your practices, your approaches, your attitudes towards creation, creating meaningful digital experiences, for example, that somehow that can help them deal with all of this. Uh, one example is uh, we're seeing at the DDC that you're finding new business models where suddenly, you know, one thing is that big companies, also banks, are buying up design firms. But another one is that design firms can now create products or design products that they can put into production. There's a Danish company called MoF. They work with uh, both uh, sort of technological, digital design and product design. And they developed a little product called Waterwolf. Waterwolf is an underwater camera. You can use it when you fish. And you can film what, you, what, what the fish is doing. It's something that people who fish apparently have been very excited about because, you know, what's going on under the water. And one of the guys at MoF is actually, he loves fishing. So he's designed a camera. Now it's a bestseller across the world. And they, as a small design firm with 12 or 15 employees, have a worldwide global production of a product that is selling really, really well. Now, what's that for? A new kind of business model where the design firm is on top and then they outsource production to someone else. And that can happen, of course, in the digital world and in a world where it's very, very easy to uh, specify manufacturing to, uh, to, to uh, um, factories in China. Another thing that we're seeing uh, happening really uh, is, is, uh, is quite significant is the, the question of speed. We always talked about how there's more change now than ever. There's always more change now than ever. We talked about that for the last decade or two decades. Maybe they talked about that 40 years ago as well. I think when, when my brother and I wrote those computer books, we also talked about how everything is changing and there's these microcomputers coming around. But we're seeing companies being very, very concerned with speed and also new models for designing that are faster, more agile, even more agile and even faster than before. Um, uh, some of the stuff that Google Ventures is doing, Google's doing, doing design sprints, for example. And at the same time, design is, and as itself as a discipline, and this is something, of course, we're kind of interested in at the design center, is changing. And to give you an example, this... Uh, this issue of Wired was really intriguing because when I was reading it, it came out last year, right, the design issue, it really showed how, how broadly design spans. So there's um, an example of a 3D printed chair. There's a big article about Airbnb and how Airbnb, as you, and you'll, of course, you, this, this conference is a great reflection of that, right, that, you know, Airbnb is a business model, as we're very well designed. Uh, the user interface is critical for the success and the scalability probably of the model. You even have people from Airbnb here today. Then you also have um, a story about how uh, New York Times has created a design lab and is working uh, to bring design into publishing and into big data and into visualization. Oh, and you have an article also in this issue about Nike that is experimenting with new uh, sneaker designs and new materials. So what does that tell us about what's going on with design? all in one, just one, uh, one issue. I think it tells us that design is getting splintered, uh, even more than it already is, perhaps, into all these different kinds of strands. And you can call them, uh, and, and, and this is uh, probably a good thing, because it shows that design as a profession is uh, becoming more and more nuanced, more and more precise, more and more professional in, in particular things. But it also means that there are some dilemmas, right? So to what extent is design still a craft? I know digital agencies that talk about crafting insights and crafting experiences. Or to what extent is design and design are still uh, the partners with big industry in creating mass, mass products and scalable products, whether it's digital or whether it's a physical, right? I just this morning on the train riding in here and uh, on this beautiful morning across Copenhagen talked to a guy who runs, uh, works with uh, digital, uh, well, digital in the government, right? 
but he said that even in a, in, a, in, a, in a pure IT department, there's always heroic programmers who are the ones who actually built the systems. And if you lose one of those programmers, you, you, you're kind of screwed. And so, so basically, it's like you can put your name to a piece of software as a programmer, as an IT specialist. In pharmaceuticals, I've understood that's pretty much the same. You can put your name to a product or to a patent, and, you know, it's your patent. So you're like a heroic designer or a heroic IT specialist. In design, of course, we know all these star designers, right? And, uh, and in many ways, we want to express our individualism and we want to express who we are also through our design work. But to what extent are we still seeing the role of heroic designers in organizations or in agencies? Or to what extent is co-design, collaborative design, user involvement, the designer's facilitator as catalyst, as a humble person who, who really has no opinion about the product or the service, but is just uh, gathering insights and letting every, all that flow through sort of an innovation process? So there's something going on there. And probably, you know, when I talk to people who are looking for service designers or co-designers, it's not the, those that are most of. That's, that's not the typical uh, profile. In Denmark, at least, we're not educating more than a handful of them. And since yesterday, the government is cutting 30% uh, off the uptake of new designers in the Copenhagen Design School, so probably we'll have fewer uh, of these types of designers in the future. Oh, and it's design about products or services. How many of you would consider what you do as product design? How many would say what you do is service design? How, how many of you would call it something else? <laughs> UX, digital, okay. But, but maybe those boundaries are blurring as well, right, with Internet of Things and with product service systems and many, many companies, also some that we are working closely with now, are saying, well, how do we shift from a product-based revenue model or from a business model and understanding that what we're actually doing is we're making money on services or we could be making money on services or we could be making money on data. Oh, and design is also getting a bit splintered around the, 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 the is, is design for growth, for just uh, uh, for, for, for business growth, or is design also for something else? Is design for social good, for social innovation, uh, corporate responsibility? Uh, what are the balances there? Uh, and increasingly, I'm seeing that corporate social responsibility is becoming more uh, integrated part of the business model. In other words, designers need to, to accommodate that businesses want to do do well financially, but also to do some good at the same time. And that maybe puts the designer in a particular role to make that happen. So what I'm curious about is what are the ways as design is transforming and splintering and changing and morphing and being consolidated and being bought up and being, you know, part of new business models, uh, what are the ways in which design practice and design professions can still create value or create even more value than before and be positioned maybe differently? So... These are the two things I wanted to talk about, design policy or the macro level, like what, what, could, what could we be interested about if it comes to what designers can do in society, in business? And the other one is what might it take to, uh, let's say, leverage the, the potential of design and designers in that, let's just call it um, interesting friction that might be between designers and managers in organizations. So design policy or design for policy, let's just uh, talk about that. And, of course, uh, the reason I've chosen that topic is also I happened to edit a book about it not so long ago. Uh, so I thought uh, let's, let's, uh, let's uh, just uh, start with that. Uh, but how might we mm, create public outcomes through design? And so now you're going to ha have to hold on for one minute to sort of deal with the, the complexity of what I'm going to say. The Danish Design Center is a mostly publicly funded institution we work to help businesses find ways where businesses can get more value from design. And when we do that, we want to use design as an approach to make it happen. 
So we are a design center that wants to use design to get design into business. That's like design times three. Can you follow, more or less? So how, do, how, how, how might we do that? How might we use design as a tool and approach to create change across the whole system, which is the Danish business ecosystem? You could also call it how might we accelerate the value of design and business, speaking of the speed and the need for, and the competitiveness and, and what we need to bring Danish businesses up to speed. So by the way, how many of you work inside or with Danish businesses? Oh, it's about half, okay. So the rest of you, don't listen, because this is about Dan Dan Danish competitiveness and so what we, uh, what we do, we, uh, we, uh, my office is right here in this building, uh, not so far from here, in Frederiksholms Canal in Copenhagen, center of Copenhagen. And um, this, is the, this is the future office. I'm not so sure I'm, I'll get the corner office. I don't think I will. But this, uh, this uh, future building uh, will be a um, so-called lighthouse or a powerhouse for Danish uh, architecture, uh, the built environment and design on the waterfront. It's been named recently. There's, a, there's been some name designers involved in this, by the way. Uh, very expensive to get a name for building. It took them nine years uh, from they decided to build the thing to they got the name. Uh, it's a quite short name when you think about how long it took. Uh, so per, per letter, it's pretty expensive, I would say. It's blocks, B-L-O-X, blocks. And it's spelled with capital letters. Very modern, very designed. Um, and, um, and, of course, it's because it looks a bit like blocks. The idea is to bring design institutions, businesses, uh, startups, uh, innovation teams. There'll be a whole innovation platform, innovation hub, uh, like a, like a uh, startup environment there. Uh, and, there'll, and there'll be a fitness center. And, and there'll be a restaurant. Don't worry. And there'll be penthouses for uh, Russian oligarchs on top. They'll be the only one who can afford it. But what we want to do until we move into that building and when we are in that building is to make design a really, really important competitive factor for Danish business, uh, top three actually. And uh, the European Union just came out with a study recently that said that only 15% of enterprises in Denmark uh, use design strategically as opposed to using design a bit more randomly or using it only to make products look better. Now, those surveys you always got to take with a little bit of of skepticism, right? In the moment when I thought, hmm, that's an interesting figure. It actually matches also pretty quite well. We use this uh, model called the design ladder that the DDC actually developed. So the commission is using our methodology. It fits quite well with Denmark. But when I looked at it, is there anyone in the room from Greece? Great. I can say anything about Greece then. I want. Uh, because 48% uh, of businesses in Greece answered that they use design strategically across the board and everything they do. And I find that slightly hard to believe. If it's the case, then it's like the opposite. We should be using less design to get more competitiveness, right? So to make things simple, I said at least this should just make things just design squared. So how can we use design to spread design, the use of design, and the smart and the good and the effective use of design across businesses. What, what might be ways of doing that? So one is, so just, and this is not the tool, it's a tool. This is just, you know, basically working with businesses and projects in a visual, collaborative kind of way. That's sort of what we want to try to do at the Danish Design Center. This is a tool we developed to uh, collaborate with small uh, design startups. So it's most, most, both product and service design startups. 
And then, of course, in a spirit of co-design, we would use that. This is just a case example, right? Use that tool to map, for example, the growth journey, the, the pains, the barriers, the challenges that these startups uh, encounter as they grow from a small business to a larger one. Uh, the, the pains and the growth barriers they encounter when they want to develop new business lines, when they want to grow uh, internationally and begin to become a global firm. And, of course, we collaborate with these businesses then in workshops uh, uh, to, uh, to develop uh, uh, insights about what could, could, what could we then change in the environment, the ecosystem, what could be done politically to help them. Uh, and using visual tools like finalizing this growth journey for – this is for a, uh, a Danish uh, design business – uh, which, by the way, also has uh, manufacturing in China, and saying how might we map this out and how might we engage different, different actors, uh, also investors, for example, and funders, in a dialogue about what would it take to boost this business to make it go global. This is just an example of how one might use design to engage with businesses uh, to help them uh, become more successful. Um, and so we try to do three things at the DDC using design. Um, we want to experiment and engage businesses and designers to find out. As, as design is being splintered, as design is changing, you know, we can't just say this is how you should use designers, this is how you should engage with, with, uh, with uh, consultants and so on. No, you probably have to try things out. In a complex, rapidly changing environment, that's what you do, right? You change, you try things out, you prototype, you iterate, you fail, which is a little bit problematic, of course, since we're using taxpayer money to engage in design experiments which might fail. But that's at least what we're saying we will be doing. The second thing we try to do is to learn. This is a photo from a, um, a, 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 a talent week we ran this summer on design for the city. Uh, it was called, this strand was called Sensing the City, and you had designers, technologists, architects, uh, urban planners work together to create uh, models, working models, working digital models around sensing data about a city development, about climate change. And so what we do from the DDC is we just look at what's going on. How do they work? What's difficult? What's, uh, what are their practices? How do they collaborate across disciplines? And the last thing we want to do is to share. Uh, and not just share and say, like, okay, we'll put a case example on a website. We want to create platforms for catalyzing how this learning we get from these experiments can change. So, for example, for you or for your business partners or for your clients or for the organizations that you work in, we would like to create interesting, challenging, relevant knowledge, learnings that can trigger new conversations and new dialogues about how you might uh, harvest the value from design. So experiment, learn, and share. So I've hired designers, I've hired anthropologists, different types of uh, skills, a lot of people who have uh, communication skills. And so we want to take a design approach where we start small scale, experiment, prototype, try out stuff with five companies, five designers, then scale it uh, slightly bigger, still experimenting, but maybe more focus on the learning, maybe on spreading the learning, getting your other actors engaged. And then finally scaling across sectors, across parts of society. It could also be internationally to say, what, well, what are we learning? And the platforms are the areas we work with. Both we're looking at the transformation of business models around design, design-driven business models. We're also looking at advanced manufacturing in design. We're looking at design in the city. We're looking at design for healthcare. We're looking for um, how the discipline itself could evolve and how can we contribute to the discipline of design evolving in spite of having fewer designers being starting at the, at the design schools. And just a final example is we're running this big program where we're giving a quarter of a million Danish corner to a handful of businesses to start experiments. 
with designers. And they use the cash to hire designers in. And the deal is that you, we'll give you the cash, but there are strings attached. It's open source what you do. We track and follow what you're doing. We put the anthropologist in there, and we share it, unless it's explicitly something that's a really, really uh, sensitive business matter. Then we share it. And we try to do it real time. So you can see that program on our, on our website. OK. So the other topic I would call uh, design, uh, call design leadership, uh, which is uh, what are we observing that happens not at the, you know, at the societal level or the, or the scale level, but what is going on in the interactions between designers and managers? How many in, the, in this room would say that you are actually managers yourself, have a management position? Great. I won't be pissing too many people off then. Because I would say that um, it kind of takes two to tango. Um, and the more I've worked also at the MindLab with, uh, you know, when we started at MindLab, we're like the internal design consultancy of a number of ministries. So designing user involvement, user engagement for government. And we started out having this vision that we we're going to revolutionize the public sector, like a really radical redesign. And my, our first job posting was, you know, would you want to join us to revolutionize the public sector? We got 400 job applications. And everybody was like, yes, we want to blow up the system. After a while, talking to a lot of managers, we found out that maybe blowing up the system is not the best sort of way to start having coffee with people and saying, can we do a project with you? You know, we want to, we want to blow up what you're doing, but still you want to work with us? So then we said, we just want to challenge the system. We just we, we, want to redesign, we want to challenge the system. It kind of worked, but still, you know, again, having, having running projects, collaborations, co-design with people where you're saying, we're here to challenge you, it gets a little bit, there's a little bit of tension in there, right? So we ended up, after a long journey, to realize we were just there to change the system. And of course, design is about change, right? Ultimately, design is about change. It can be incremental, it can, it can be radical. But change is a bit of a more neutral word. And a lot of public servants and decision makers in government do want to change. That's actually why they joined the civil service in the first place. That's why they're getting paid half of what you'd get paid in the, in the private sector, because they want to change something in society. So change is a better, better word. But in that intersection with, with uh, leaders and with managers, something is going on that is, that is um, sometimes not so easy. How many of you experience frustrations when you collaborate with, uh, with managers, with the non-designers in your organizations? Frustrations. How many of you? Not more than half? All right. Anyone know who these guys are? A few of you should know who the guy to the left, or could know, maybe. No? All right, so the guy to the right, uh, Herbert Simon, wrote a book called The Science of the Artificial. The Science of the Artificial, 1969, a book about design. Um, maybe not in the sense you talk, think about design, but he, he talked about the artificial sciences. The sciences are about creating the world that are not about natural science, understanding how the world works, but about creating the world, engineering, architecture, design. And Herbert Simon here was really also, I mean, the reason he won the Nobel Prize, by the way, he won the Nobel Prize in the 70s, was for a big piece of work on management and decision-making. And just follow me for one moment. His work on decision-making was you're in a particular decision space, and as a manager, as a leader, or as a designer, you just have to find a way to make a decision between different options. 
And of course, you don't have perfect information. He discovered that along the way. He got the Nobel Prize to find out that decision makers and managers don't have perfect information. They have less than perfect information. And they have to satisfy us. They have to find ways of accommodating and maybe sometimes even using their gut feeling to make a decision. But his world was one of decision-making between different options. And as a designer, that's, that's a fine world to be in. You get, you, you get a brief, you do decision-making within that brief, you create the designs within that brief. And this is a big, big strand in management thinking. But the other guy, Bucky, Buckminster Fuller, was interested in something else. He was, in a sense, a bit of a crazy radical designer, architect slash architect. And he was interested in design as future-making, which means how do we even know what we're going to make a decision about? How do we know this is even the brief? Uh, let's blow up the brief. Let's challenge what the problem even is. Let's challenge why it couldn't be a different opportunity than the one that the client or the decision-maker is looking at. And what does that look like then? Because, I mean, I thought about, this, did Herbert Simon, he was a professor at Carnegie Mellon uh, uh, in decision sciences and so on, information science. So if I got to show a picture of his design work, it would be a book, which wouldn't be that interesting. Even a book called Administrative Behavior, which is really, really boring. But Bucky here, Buckminster Fuller, was slightly less boring. Uh, so it's not that these things are driving around all over the place right now, but at least you could say that he had the, the, uh, some imagination. And the geodesic dome behind him is, uh, there's one, I think it's in, uh, in uh, there's at least one functioning one, huge one in Canada right now. Uh, it became one of his legacy, legacy designs, the geodesic dome. So that's, that's future making. Or you could also say it's a design attitude. And a design attitude to the world, which I would say that many designers display. We had uh, recently, uh, not these guys, uh, but uh, Camille Miklowski, who wrote a new book called Design Attitude at the DDC on Friday. And he said, well, looking at projects or tasks as an opportunity for inventing is a very, very designerly way of working. And then leveraging you know, different senses, aesthetics, visualization to do so. But of course, the question is, could, could managers more generally, if, they just, if, if more managers or more clients that you work with had a design attitude, your work would be easier, wouldn't it? It would probably be a lot easier. So you could say that if this is the mindset that you work with, then uh, things get a little bit narrow and not very innovative. But if you work with a mindset that says, what's, what's the world we can create where we can make new decisions, new products, new services, new digital experiences, then it gets a little bit interesting. And designers navigate between those two worlds, with your profession, with your mindsets, but also with the management mindset. This is a really designerly question to ask, isn't it? And this is really what great designers do, isn't it, as well? To expand the options, expand the possibilities we have, rather than just saying, is it going to be this one or this one? Red or green? I like this one, I don't like this one. So, after about, so I, I'm, uh, one of the things that, that wasn't mentioned, but I'm actually trying to write a, write a, a PhD about this, uh, the Copenhagen Business School, which is like what happens between designers and managers. And they've interviewed 15 different managers who work with service designers across five different countries to look at what goes on when service designers do what they do. And so in between the space between designers and managers, what, what's, what's the relationship? 
And again, this is service design. This is in a context of, uh, of uh, mostly public services that this is coming from. But I have a hunch that this might actually work, uh, work for, um, for business as well. This is another way of framing it. If we were to educate managers in how to work most effectively with you to make your life, if not better, then at least easier or more fruitful or more impactful, more powerful, how would they engage? How would you design an MBA for design leadership if you're going to design that MBA? So here's some, here's, um, some ideas. This is what designers do, at least this is what co-designers or service designers often do. Ethnography, user research, exploring the problem space, exploring the opportunity space. It's generating alternative scenarios, right? Uh, options, call them concepts, ideas about which direction might we take design in. And finally, of course, this is what designers, this is like the unique contribution of designers, because, I mean, of course, you know, there's probably a few anthropologists over here as well, right? but that is to make things tangible. Digitally, experientially tangible, or physically tangible, but make things real. You can touch them, use them, engage with them. That's, uh, to me, sort of the essence of design. Enacting new practices, making things happen, making uh, behavior change, making, giving great experiences that makes users want to just buy and use those products. And for each of these contributions, so this is what designers do, what are the ways in which managers engage with that when things look like they're kind of working? And so these six different engagements or ways of leading design, challenging assumptions, leveraging empathy, empathy with users, with uh, customers, stewarding divergence, dealing with the fact that things diverge, that things can go in different directions during a design project, and allowing that to happen, allowing uh, to navigate the unknown, that you don't know where you're ending up, uh, more radical design processes, you don't know what you're going to deliver until the end of the, uh, the process. And how do you deal with that in organizations that are impatient, that want to know, have security and want to know what the product will be? And finally, how do, how do managers themselves engage with making the future concrete, saying, well, I want to see what's, what's going to look like. Uh, I've seen managers beginning to prototype themselves, beginning to build their own small digital prototypes because they got so engaged and like, how's this going to work for people? How's this going to look? How could we build this? And finally, the sixth uh, management engagement is that uh, great design projects, great design work, of course, creates value for someone. Ideally, both for users, customers, clients, but also for the organization. So how do you, it actually helps working with somebody who's ambitious about that who wants to see change, who wants to see this thing going somewhere, who's not just going through the motions and saying, well, let's see what these guys come up with, and, uh, well, maybe we can use it, maybe we can't. No, who are ambitious about change. Maybe willing to change something within the organization uh, to allow a new product, a new service to go to market. So exploring the problem space, this whole process, again, this is just, of course, a service journey or, or user, user, user journey mapping. But, you know... Designers, of course, can, can contribute by creating eye-openers, uh, insights, use new user insights. But what I'm also finding, this, uh, this um, notion of, of challenging assumptions, challenging who do we think the users are, uh, uh, what's going on with them, the best of the leaders, the managers I've talked to, they always want to challenge their assumptions. They're always ready to ask questions. 
Uh, one leader, and this is a, a really, you know, relevant example right now, because in Denmark we have a number of public IT systems crashing around, around and being terminated and having cost millions and millions of corner. But this one lady, she says, so this, she's a director in an agency, she says, you know, you don't, she goes on summer vacation and she's at home in the vacation and she goes, you don't just buy a new IT system, kind of, do you? I mean, you, you actually first redesign your organization. You redesign everything you do and then you digitize it. You know, you, her problem was probably that that's also not true. What you do is probably you have an interaction between changing organization and digitization that go hand in hand. But she thought, well, I'm going to challenge the assumption that you just plug IT into the organization. I have to challenge the whole assumption of what kind of organization do we have, redesign that, and then we digitize. So for her, uh, challenging her own assumptions about what we're going to be doing here uh, was critical. And so as well, it was critical to have user insight that showed what kind of value are they generating or not generating for their users. I was up at the, the Danish um, company Kuloplast the other day. Anyone working with Kuloplast in the room? Okay, so I'll tell an anecdote. I hope it's true. Uh, well, the anecdote, is, as I experienced it, was true, but whether it actually fits with the rest of the organization. So in the front of the building at Kohleplast up in Northern Zealand here in Denmark, there were two big images of people, uh, two ladies, huge, like floor to, to top of the building. And my colleague and I came, and we were like, hmm, wonder if those are photos of employees like, you know, we are an employee-centric organization. We have great conditions for our staff. We love our people. Oh, the HR department running the organization. Big images in the front. Or could it be that these were images of customers? Like a customer-centric organization. And we couldn't really tell. I mean, because what they, they produce uh, colostomy bags, amongst other things, and it's not something you can really see people wearing, right? So we go in, and the first person we meet is the receptionist. And we say uh, to the receptionist, so um, those images outside, are they, are they staff or are they customers? She looks at us with a little bit of overbearing, and she goes, well, it's customers, but we don't call them that. We call them users. You have a receptionist in a business that uses what is essentially design language. That's pretty impressive. That's, like, that's an organization that has done a little bit of work to make sure that everybody knows that we're here for those who are using our products. And we actually care about that. We care so much we're going to put the users in the front of our building. That empathy or that putting users first is what characterizes great managers who are great to work with as designers. So the second design activity, right, generating alternative scenarios. This is the, what designers do. Ideas, concepts, divergent pr processes, so forth. Well, here is the role of leaders to steward that process where great design leaders or design managers help give direction to a project but not too much direction. And they understand that many minds, many hands Many professions, many disciplines need to work together to come to, a, to, come to a, a result. And too much, I think, that we see management as controlling or as just letting go. But actually, there's a fine balance between control and letting go in a design project, maybe stewarding, uh, navigating, or orchestrating is maybe a better word uh, for what needs to be done. 
But that does mean that there isn't some kind of loss of control when you don't know as an organization where this thing is going to end. You're posting money into it. You're putting people into it. You're putting this great design work into it. You don't know exactly, is this going to be a product, a service? Is this going to be great or not so great? Uh, who, who, who are the users who will actually use it, so forth? And this is a manager. This is, again, a service design project, but says, uh, as a manager, letting designers loose and having her staff being really, really frustrated along you know, two or three months of work where they didn't know where this was going to land. And they asked her, you really didn't know where this is going? And she said, no, I didn't. And it was a, but it was a positive loss of control because it leveraged the organization's own energy, ideas, professionalism, to find a, a better way. Finally, enacting new practices. So, right, this is, this is actually uh, it's from 1508. Is anyone from the company here today? Five, five, so they work uh, on one of these PLUS program projects, right? So there's a design uh, consultancy here in Copenhagen uh, using Google Sprints uh, as, a, as an approach to really speed up the de development of uh, what's going to be a whole new business model for a company developed in five weeks. A new digital but also physical uh, new experience. And the company is so excited they built a whole new business separately from the company to, to, uh, to accommodate the new design. It's going to be launched in um, December. I can, I can say that it's about onboarding. It's about how do you integrate new staff quickly in an organization. It's a tool for that, uh, which is going to be uh, – so there's, there's a case on our website about it. But anyway, this is just an image that is from the, the project where we are, where 1508 has been documenting their work on the, on the user interface. But this idea of being very, very fast in making the future concrete is important. And what is important is that the management and the leadership in this organization is called Moment to the company and the client is insisting that they are actually game. They want to do this. They're going to make a deal and they're going to invest time and effort in getting to a working prototype, which ended up not just being a working prototype or, or, or a user interface, but actually ended up being a business model in 25 days. Which, is, by the way, is about the same as a Danish summer vacation. And they did this in July, most of July and August. So some people didn't have a vacation this year. And finally, on, on insisting on value, I would say that, that great managers, great leaders who engage successfully with designers, they want customers, users to win, but they also want the organization to win. And sometimes the resistance inside organizations to adopt and work with great design is because people are afraid they're going to lose. Right? Staff is going to lose. Somebody's going to reorganize. There's going to be a new process. Am I even going to be in the organization anymore? So managers who can articulate to their staff, this is about value in the market or uh, with users, but it's also about value for us. All right. So ultimately, this is the, uh, the dilemma, isn't it? And, uh, and this manager, by the way, uh, I can, I can, this is actually a manager from the Danish tax authorities. This is a digital product uh, project. And it took them four years to figure out the consequences for the organization. But they did build it. It's a new digital platform for young people uh, engaging with tech services in Denmark. It's online. Uh, it came online last spring. Uh, but, but this is like the um, – this is like what's difficult. This is what the managers are dealing with. All right. Questions, remarks, comments, challenges? Is this the future you're seeing? Is this the way things are going? There's a microphone there, yes, yeah. And again, we have a mic for those who are interested with questions. And we have a question from Trine in the back. You'll get a mic. 
Hi, I'm Trine from Trine Madsen. Um, you're talking about how managers should uh, learn to uh, manage designers, but what can we as designers do to help managers understand the values of uh, our method and thinking? Because I, I've, my experience is that we, we are not very good at selling our yeah. qualities. Yeah, so uh, when we're doing this, this is, this is so exciting because we're doing this work, right, where we are following um, designers in practice, right? And so we are kind of uh, observing how designers sell or pitch. And they're not so good, really. Uh, and actually yesterday, I, uh, I was keynoting in, in, over in Culling in Jutland, uh, and these, this, this design firm comes up to me and they say, so one is a political scientist, the, the partners running the firm, one is a, is a political scientist, the other one is an anthropologist. And they're they also more of a user insight team, and maybe not as much, of, but they do have a few designers uh, there, and they said, we would never send our designer to have a client meeting. We, we go ourselves. And I think it's not because designers are not, couldn't be great at selling. But I don't think a lot of designers, a lot of them don't care. Because it's not really interesting, is it? Selling, pitching, convincing. What's interesting is doing great, great work, using your skills and, and your professionalism. So I think it's like there's just not that much engagement in it. There's just as much energy in it. And, and so we've been observing some sessions that are clearly, I mean, not impressive. Um, so I think there's a, a role there, and the De Design Denmark, one of our partners, the Alliance for Designers in Denmark, uh, they, they actually run uh, sales pitch courses and things that can you know, educate designers. But I think there's something more at stake, much more than just pitching or just selling. Uh, but I do think it's a major issue, and it's not just about convincing somebody, it's, it's being able to articulate your craft. It's about being able to, to, to share and, 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 and communicate the, how you work and the value of how you work. And the paradox is that it's people like me, who's not a designer, who's touring all over the planet to sh say why design is great. And actually, you have so many friends, so many hangarounds that are wannabe designers. It's like you're one of the most gifted professions in the world. You have so many people who love what you're doing, but none of them are really designers. The people who've coined design thinking, many of them are not designers. The people who are writing the Harvard Business Review pieces about what design is, if you take up Harvard Business Review, the last issue, I don't, I don't think any of them are designers who've been writing this stuff. Maybe Tim Brown from my idea. Does anyone know Tim Brown as a designer by education? Yeah. He actually is a designer by education. But most of the other idea folks, by the way, are not. Like, I think uh, one of the Kelly, Kelly brothers is like a humanities uh, guy, right? Anyway, so I say yeah. there's lots and lots to do to professionalize designers' role, but not just about selling and pitching, but about how do you create value in organizations? How do you create impact in organizations? How do you deal with power, with organization, strategy, all those things? But if it requires that you care. Can we have more questions? Maybe? Yes, we can. <laughs> I'll give a, 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 any more questions. as long an answer next because time. Any more questions? Oh, I, are you not I shouldn't have interrupted you. I have a question. Yeah? Because selling, yes. How can we impact? Uh, sometimes it's said that design-oriented companies have more design and management. Do you think that's like a something that would help fulfill your strategic goal of making design the competitive factor for more businesses yeah. in Denmark? Would that be for every one of us designers to, you know, go into management? Yeah. So, of course, there's the Joni Ive model, right? Uh, but Joni Ive would never have gotten to where, he, well, maybe he would now, but back then he wouldn't if Steve Jobs hadn't been, you know, 
really, really engaged with design. And he's not, just Steve Jobs was not a designer. Um, I think it would be wonderful, absolutely wonderful, to have many more designers in chief design officer positions. Uh, but, it would, but it's probably a long-term strategy, right? It's going to take a while. Also because a lot of designers don't care about politics, don't care about organization, don't care about strategy like that. So it's going to be, take a while. But I would say that we want to educate future designers who maybe take like the management track uh, about you know, being engaged with that. I think that would be great. And then other designers would take the non-management track, the skills track in, in design. And, but then I think that the broad game has to be that no matter how high design is placed in the organization, you need to have a design mindset among the leaders. I think that's critical. And the organizations that are successful, really, really successful, have leaders and managers who are not necessarily designers, mm -hmm. but have a design mindset. And maybe that can be trained, I don't know. So is it more like convincing management to do design thinking? To do design thinking, but again, I mean, these things that I just shared, I mean, in, in a sense, you could say that, that um, it's the designers that are doing the design work, right? I mean, mm -hmm. this is not about, uh, see, this is... This takes actual professional, very, very, very good designers and, and uh, related disciplines to do these things. And these things are like, how do we then engage with it? So I would say, yeah, design thinking. But it's also about realizing that design is not just about thinking, it's about doing, right? So I heard like one, one uh, lady the other day say from a big Danish company say, my role is to take management out from the executive suite, out from the corner office and pull the management all the way down to actually experience what users are experiencing. So it's also about getting managers engaged in the doing or the experience of design, not just in the strategic decision-making and so on about design. Yeah. There's a question from... Can you say where, where, you're, where you're from as well? Hello, my name is Peng. I'm from a company called Possible. And so I, I want to ask you, you know, in business context, uh, there, there, there is a saying about uh, starting with why. So if you want to sell something, you start, you know, talk about why you do that instead of talking about what and how you yes. do it. So starting with why. Do you think it's also for designers that we should also have that responsible, uh, that capability mm -hmm. to say why we design like this instead of only saying what and how? Yeah. And is that a design discipline or is it a business discipline? Yeah. I think it's both, uh, but that's also, you know, it's like almost the most disruptive question you can ask a business, isn't it, or any organization, is why are you here? Why are you here? Why, 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 why are you even relevant in the market, or why are you relevant as an organization? That's a really disruptive strategic question to ask. And because design, to me at least, and we can talk a lot about the definitions of design, right, but design is in many ways, I think, the creation of meaning about the creation of meaning, like what is the meaning and, and, and experience of a product or a service, then I think that's a why question, right? So I think designers are engaged in the why uh, because they're engaged with meaning, with identity, with experience, with, with who am I using this product, this service, wearing this clothes, and so on and so on. Um, so I don't think you can avoid it. And I think, again, back to the business issue, which is you may just want to be better at connecting the why of the design work with the why of the business and the business model and getting engaged in that discussion because you can't have great meaningful design if you don't have an organization that understands what is that meaning it's creating, right? Mm -hmm. Thank you. Question in the front? Two questions yeah. in the front? 
Okay. Michael from Danfoss, you were talking about the trend that um, big consultancies is buying the design companies. So I was wondering, are you trying to look into that? Why are they doing that? Examine it, explore it? Yeah. So, uh, so one of these companies, the, one of the... Um, one of the design firms here uh, actually invited us on, a, on field research, right? <coughs> uh, so I was like, hmm, that's interesting. So you're inviting us to field research just to, um, just to um, learn about methods? Because we would love to go on field research to find out what happens now, culturally, organizationally, strategically. This is going to be, and this is, this is, uh, it's just going to be a massive, interesting experiment, right? Uh, and 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 because I mean, working with design and government, I mean, imagine you know, bureaucracy and design, and then you have a culture of an Indian IT company or of McKinsey and design. How are these cultures, practices, w ways of working going to fit uh, or, or create synergies? And of course, it's it's the hope they will, right? It's it's because of the front page of Harvard Business Review that these businesses are doing this kind of stuff. It's because for the last decade, everybody's been talking about design as this massive differentiator. It's because DMI in America has you know, published you know, this you know, design-led companies outperforming the, uh, the Standard & Poor's Index by 228% or something along, 200-plus percent. It's like, that's like an interesting piece of data. It may be not that valid. Who knows? It can be flaws, but it's still interesting. But I think it's – I can fear that – it's just going to uh, destroy the, um, I mean, the, the, the junior partner, right? And the junior partner are the design companies. Uh, and but 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 maybe some of them will work. And if they do work, it could also go for an organization like yours, which is a you know extremely large company that might have different ways of working with design. But how can you make design as an organizational capability, a culture fit, and be valuable within the organization? Uh, also going forward, maybe we can learn something. And maybe out of those, you no. Know, Eight, ten experiments that are happening. It's also, it's, it's a Capital One, the bank, happened to, by the way, to be sponsoring the Service Design Conference in New York. It's like, if you look at the sponsors of the Service Design Conference next, this week in New York, you'll see all those guys, including Ypro, who've been buying up design firms, now they're sponsors of, the, of design conferences. Mm -hmm. Well, it's a good thing for those who are running conferences. Maybe mm -hmm. you'll get great new sponsors, right? Yeah. But it's really, really going to be interesting. But I can, we will do everything we can to share what we can about what's going on, because that's our role. We're, we're all about, you know, we're public. We're all about open source. Great, thanks. And I think we have the last question from Kim in the front. Do you still have a question? Uh, yeah. I just thinking about... Uh, can you say who you are? Uh, yeah, I'm Kim from Dwarf. Um, <laughs> thanks. Uh, what's your take on uh, uh, the designer role in... Uh, should it be more interested in business modeling, like understanding business, or should it go further into front-end development and stuff like that? I think there's a lot of uh, yeah. uh, uh, the roles are blurring a bit, yeah. and maybe uh, you have on some ideas about that. So front-end, in, in the sense that you can, you can do front-end on products, right? You can also do front-end on, front on business models. Actually, doing a front-end design, early innovation on, on business models is like asking that why question, right? It's like saying, let's start by exploring what are, what are we even doing as a business? What, what does it mean? How would, might we redesign the whole, the whole thing? Um, I think from a leadership perspective, a management perspective, it, you know, it's like where do you put your resources? Where do you put your energy? Where do you put your attention? Do you put it on? 
on sort of more going into refining a business model, or do you go, go into like more blank territory, white, white space territory, right? Uh, and I think there are, there are different trends, right? So some are saying, well, the world is changing fast, complexity is rising, we're seeing scalable exponential business models, we better get into re rethinking our whole reason for being, uh, while others are probably so uh, terrified that they are just, you know, incrementally working on how do we fine tune and and make it look better and so on and so on, right? And I don't have the analysis on, you know, what's going on. We're doing a, a major uh, national um, design value survey uh, at the DDC together with Danish industry next year. So we're hoping to get some answers on that, uh, to wh where our business is placing themselves in that spectrum that you're, you're rightly pointing out. Uh, but I don't have the answer. I would say that uh, it also probably depends quite a lot of which industry you're in. But if there are some industries where I would probably invest a little bit in the front end, uh, for example, if you're in banking, I mean, it's like, uh, did you hear this, 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 this quote that, you know, the banking industry is like the record industry before the iPod? If you think about that, then if you're, you know, banking, you probably want to work a little bit on the front end. All right. Thanks so much. Thanks for that. Thank you, Chris. Great conference. Thank you. Thank you, Christian. We need to talk about that sponsor thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh oh, England? Oh. Sorry, in a minute we'll serve you coffee. Ready to fill up your IV bags here? <laughs> Many of you have already reserved seats beforehand. We sent out a survey. And those of you who have not need to choose now. Um, thank you, Christian. So, in, uh, in this room on the stage will be Choge Gröfte and Eska Ustabek from Think Digital. And they will be presenting what they call uh, How to Pitch Design, the Dirty Little Secrets. In the back room will be uh, op Operate with uh, Strategic Design. I'm sorry, I'm not completely here yet. <laughs> I need my coffee. So uh, in the back room will be op uh, Operate with Strategic Design. And then we'll have serve lunch, which will be in the middle room like yesterday. And after that, we'll have more workshops. But I think I'll come on stage and just let you know what's going to happen. So now, coffee and then time to choose your workshops. Have fun. Motherfucker.